Thanks for the time away. Uh, a couple of weeks of being able to just to get refreshed with my family in terms of vacation and then uh, being able to spend a week um, taking a group of teens to Chicago. That was a joy. Um, I, I'm volunteering already for next year so I can do that again. Uh, anytime I have a chance to, to be with the teens and be able to take them is a, is a delight. I don't want to take that away from you though, Ben. So I'll, 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 let, you, I'll let you carry that. Unless you want me to do it, just let me know. <laughs> By the way, I want to just encourage you to be here tonight. Um, a chance for you to hear how God worked in the hearts of the teens. The reason why we take missions trips and why we take the teens to, to other places, whether it be Hungary or Chicago, is not just so they can have a good experience to kind of put in their resume, as it were, but really to give the kids an opportunity to see God in, in a in a significant way. In that way, it really applies to what we're talking about this morning in our passage as we move back to the book of Ruth. So I'd encourage you, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ruth chapter two. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew ahead of you, page 222. That's where we're gonna be this morning, Ruth chapter two. It has been a, a, a delight for me to have several faithful men teach the word of God in my absence. That is by design. It's, it's a blessing to us as a church to be able to see that, that the word of God doesn't have to come through a, a particular speaker, but when you have other speakers who are presenting the word in, in a faithful way, you can just enjoy the blessings of God through his word independent of a particular person. And, and that's really... That's really uh, the joy of being able to do that. As a matter of fact, um, Tom Zentz was willing this morning to do this because I thought I was gonna be stuck yesterday in Florida. Uh, my son had, um, was graduating at Word of Life and I wondered, our plane kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed for the fourth time. I wondered if it was gonna be canceled and uh, to be able to call up uh, Tom Zentz and say, hey, would you be willing to be on deck just in case? Um, what, a, what a blessing it is to be in a church where there are so many faithful men to teach. That is, that is a joy, a joy to us. This morning we're coming to a passage of scripture and we're working through this book of Ruth. Well, what I love about narrative is we get to see how real people who experience real life situations and by the way, demonstrate real to life kind of attitudes, whether those are good attitudes or bad attitudes, that God is able to use real life situations to encourage our heart to teach us who he is. And as we've been working through and moving through this book of Ruth, I hope that you understand, and I'm sure you do, this isn't about Naomi, this is not about Ruth, it's not about Boaz, it's not about the people of Bethlehem, it's not about this future King David, it really is a story about God. It's a story of God's faithfulness to his people. It's a story of God showing up to a family in Bethlehem doing a very dark period, a dark season of Israel's history, and in his mercy, demonstrating kindness to them. This word we've been talking about, hinting at, chesed, it's the word loyal love. St 
steadfast love, covenant love. God's faithfulness to his people in good times, in bad times, when they are obedient and when they are sinning, God's faithful love to his people is shining through this story. And I love stories for that. Isn't it great that God uses stories? It's not just, the Bible isn't just a collection of, uh, of doctrinal truths. While that would be sufficient for us, God has chosen to allow us to, to see his work in the lives of people so that we can see God. And that's really what this is all about. The, the story, the account of Ruth is the, the account of seeing God. We're going to come this morning to a text, and what might not be apparent on the surface is apparent in the, the underlying parts of this story. On the surface of this story, Ruth will go to a field, she'll glean some barley, Boaz will show some kindness to her, Ruth will come back to Naomi, Naomi will just celebrate the, 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 the provision of this grain, and on the surface of the story, it seems like just another day in the life of a family in Bethlehem. But under this story is the story of God. God's working in the lives of this family. And God wanting this family and wanting the women and men of Bethlehem to experience something profound. Something, by the way, that he has extended to all of us through his son, Jesus Christ, in extending an opportunity for us to have a relationship with God. God wants to be known. God wants to be experienced. God wants us to enjoy intimacy with him. God wants to be known and seen. But there's something that stands in the way most often. And it at least stands or could potentially stand in the way of these characters. But because of their posture and heart of service, God is seen. And that's the title of the message for the day is seeing God through service. Seeing God through your commitment to serving, which, by the way, is just a way for you to express a heart of faith. Your service demonstrates that you believe that God is enough. And of course, as you would expect, that anything that the Bible would advocate the world is going to be against. It's going to oppose, right? So let me just give you some examples. If you're in the business world, uh, if you're even in the school, school world, okay, there are some phrases that you're probably familiar with, acquainted with. We understand that this is a dog-eat-dog world, right? And so in order to get ahead, in order to have your way, you better be the most ferocious dog in the pound, right? You've also heard first come, first serve. We've heard nice guys finish last. We understand the early bird gets the worm. So get up early so you can get your payment, right? It's a world of being, of, of kill or be killed. That winning is everything. Or the spin on that, winning is not everything, it's the only thing, 
So what do we do? Well, we position ourselves for success. We look out for number one. We make sure that it's available, that we're gonna be the one first in line to get it, take our due, and have our way. That is what the world would advocate, and that is totally antithetical and opposed to God. You cannot see God when you work and operate that way. The Bible, God's word, has a totally different value system. Where Jesus will say the first will be last, and the last will be first. And Jesus says, whoever wants to be great in the kingdom of God must be a servant, right? Be willing to serve. You wanna see God? You need to serve. Why? Because this is the heartbeat of our Savior who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You wanna see God? You wanna experience God? You wanna know God? You want to enjoy God. You need to trust God by serving God and serving others. That's the way it works. There's there's no other way to see God. And so this often gets in the way of us really enjoying and experiencing God. Let me me give you some examples. So, So I was on a plane. We took Southwest. And any of you who have flown Southwest understand that there's preferred seating. So you, you got to make sure that you're there first because there's no assigned seating. You stand in line, the first in line, get the best seats in the house, right? And so what can you expect to see on the day or when the, the gates open and boarding begins? You got all these people clamoring, right, to get the best place in line because they want to make sure they get the seat closest to the, to the exit. They want to make sure they get that, that window seat or that aisle seat. Who wants to sit in the middle? And that's left for the, the people last in line. They want to make sure they get their overhead compartment, right? We, we understand this. Or those of you who would go to an amusement park, right? And, and you're, you're, you're making your way to the, the front of that ride and you make eye contact with somebody who's going to the same ride and there's an all-out sprint now to get there first because you want to make sure you get there. And those of you who don't understand amusement parks, the same kind of thing happens when you're going to Texas Roadhouse. <laughs> You've parked and you see that person across the... Uh, across the parking lot and you realize you're going to the same spot. You want to get your reservation in first, so you scramble a little head and you you get there. But when you live God's way, your life will point to faith in God. When you live God's way, your your life points to faith in God. It's a life that pours out it's a life that expends. It's a life that divests itself of personal resources, time, and energy for the sake of others. It's a life that prefers others and puts yourself in the background. Because it's a life that points to faith. It's a life that says God is enough. And, and so if you believe that and you say that, your life will have a life of service. It will be marked by service. And when, by the way, our life carries those components, then we're going to enjoy the benefits. 
the first and best benefit of having a life that serves others is you get God. You enjoy God because God is enough. And so you trust God and you get to experience that God will fill when you are depleted. You'll get to, you get to experience what, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, I will boast therefore more gladly in my weakness so that the strength of God will be made perfect in me. That's the life of those who see and experience God. They spend because they believe that God is enough and God will fill the vacancy of their life. And when we do this, when our life is marked by this kind of service, we're gonna be in the exact place at the exact time that God wants us to be there so we can experience and be part of the master plan of God for the world. And so when Naomi and Ruth and Boaz posture themselves in terms of service. They will not only benefit the others whom they're serving, and they'll not only benefit this village of Bethlehem that gets to see the, the fringe benefits of their, their life, and they get to see God through their life. And by the way, because of this future promise of David, then the nation of Israel gets to benefit. And by the way, everybody in this room who has put their faith in Jesus Christ benefits because of Ruth and Naomi's and Boaz's posture of service. They were in the right place, the right time, part of God's master plan. This story is bigger than this little book of Ruth. It's part of God's master plan. And so when we, as God's people, have the same kind of posture, the same kind of attitude, I will serve God, I will trust God, then we get to enjoy what faith in God brings, God himself, in the privilege of being part of God's plan. So let's turn to our, let's turn to our passage today. Ruth chapter two. We're gonna see right out of the gate, we're gonna see this service, okay? That's kind of the, the theme of this, uh, that, that Ruth and Boaz and Naomi see God and enjoy God, experience God because of service. So we're, gonna, we're gonna just gonna see and observe their, their service heart, their ministry heart through this, through this passage today. First, we're gonna see that Ruth serves willingly and diligently. She serves willingly and diligently. Let me just back up at the beginning of Ruth and kind of summarize the first several verses to kind of get us where we are in our passage today. But in verse two it says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Ruth serves willingly and diligently. Let's evaluate, first of all, examine her diligence. Ruth decides that she's gonna to go to work. She's gonna gather as much barley as she can. And this is, as we saw at the end of chapter one, this is the beginning of the barley season. And the time then is short for this gathering or harvesting of crops to kind of carry them the rest of the season. You gotta do as much as you can in as little time as you can so that it lasts as long as it can. So Ruth is deciding, I'm gonna serve my mother-in-law by gathering some barley. 
Now, let's be clear. This was not Naomi's field, okay? Ruth was going to go out to glean in someone else's field. How is she going to do that? Because in the background, it's always here. In the background, God is the ultimate provider. And those who trust and obey God will be a conduit of blessing. And that's what Boaz becomes because of following the instructions of the law in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 19 to 22. It says, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget the sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your harvest, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. So Ruth decides to commit herself to work, to labor, to serve her mother-in-law by going out in the field. She had that provision given to her by the law. And there's no mention of why Naomi is not with her. Naomi was with her daughters-in-law gathering harvest in Moab. But for whatever reason, she's not here now. But the text doesn't give us the details. It doesn't tell us why. But it didn't matter to Ruth. Because Ruth's heart was not about who's serving with me and look how great I'm doing, kind of like the Mary-Martha complex, like, Jesus, why isn't... Why isn't uh, my sister helping me? Ruth did not, she was not postured that way because her heart was given to serve. She was gonna serve the Lord by serving her mother-in-law. It's similar to what we find of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 15. He says, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. The, the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. And so this demonstrates the sincerity of Paul's heart in serving without strings, without strings attached. That's when you know true service is happening. Are you willing to serve others, expend yourself without the accolades, without the recognition, without the help around you, serving for the sake of Jesus, trusting that God is in control? She was diligent, or she was willing. Next we find that she's diligent. We see that in, in uh, especially in verse seven, chapter two, verse seven. Boaz has come to the field. The reapers are now giving him a report, and they say this, uh, speaking of Ruth. She said, please let me glean and gather from among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. The diligent commitment of Ruth to serve from the morning hours, early morning hours, to at least in verse 14, to the noontime. And then in verse 17, we see, so she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about the an ephah of barley. And then you jump down to verse 23, you see it wasn't just one day's labor. She kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Ruth is going after it. 
Ruth is taking initiative. Ruth is willing to be a little bold, maybe somewhat aggressive, you might say, willing to step across the lines, willing to invite a little bit of criticism by asking not just to glean along the edges, but then to move in and glean among the sheaves. Who do you think you are? Well, I think I'm a person who loves my mother-in-law. And I'm gonna do whatever it takes. I'm gonna accept whatever shame, whatever criticism, to carry out this ministry of service. (laughs) And by the way, we're gonna see in just a moment how God uses this bold request to answer that because Boaz recognizes her need. But she's in the exact place at the right time. Her willingness and her diligence put her there. Her heart of love for Naomi put her there in the field. Her dependence on God put her there. And as with everything in scripture, this was by design. God was using a heart of service, a heart of obedience, a heart of faith to get Ruth exactly in the right place at the right time. So the narrator picks up on this in chapter two, verse three where he says, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Oh, really? The divine hand of God in instrumentally guiding and leading Ruth to the right place to be there where Boaz is. This was not an accident. It is safe to have a heart of service. It is safe to believe God by spending yourself for others. And when you live God's way, your life points to confidence in God. It's a life that pours out. It's a life that prefers others. It's a life that points to faith. A life that says God is enough without strings attached. And then they enjoy the benefits. The benefits of God himself, the benefits of God's provision, and the benefits of taking part in God's master plan. It only happens one way, through service. Ruth serves. She serves willingly and diligently. Then we transition to Boaz's service. Boaz serves tangibly and extravagantly. Really, um, what I'm trying to describe here in terms of his tangible service, which is the, the first sub-point, is, is pointing to the fact that Boaz is willing to make a personal investment. He's willing to put his money where his mouth is, as it were. He's willing to, to serve where the rubber meets the road. He's, he's willing to divest himself of personal resources for the sake of meeting a physical need. Notice verse 14. And just see if you can underline as we're working through, reading through all the ways that Boaz is addressing and meeting a physical need. It says, at mealtime, in verse 14, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. She said, she, so she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her the roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. Sound familiar? And do not reproach her and also put out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. We see in Boaz 
a willingness to serve in a tangible, physical way, meeting and addressing her physical need. He cared for Ruth in a tangible way. This was not theoretical. It wasn't not just empty words. It wasn't just, it wasn't like the, the person in James chapter two that says, be warmed and be filled. But Boaz was willing to be a man of action, a man of faith, not merely words, but a man who's willing to use his own personal resources to serve. This stranger, this foreigner from Moab. We learn about his kindness, so much of his kindness in this passage. There's, there's almost too much to really talk about, but just to draw your attention to this, it says, and at mealtime, Boaz said to her, this is uh, the, the middle of the day, so half the day has transpired. The heat of the day is beginning to set in, and what was customary was to take a break to have some, some time of eating, some time of resting, so you could go back at it and work for the rest of the day. It's lunchtime. It's noontime. And Boaz did not have an obligation to Naomi in this way. There is nowhere in the Mosaic law where he is expected to carry out this kind of hospitality, this kind of kindness. But he did it anyway. In a, in a way, this was risky kindness. He's putting himself out there. He's willing to address a physical need to a stranger, to a woman, to somebody from Moab, and, and, and could have invited some kind of criticism on himself, but he's willing to do it anyway. In the ancient Near East, people did not eat only to be satisfied from hunger. Not like when uh, moms, you prepare Thanksgiving all morning long and your family sits down and 15 minutes later, they're, they're gone. Not that kind of eating. Eating that took time. Eating that, that invited hospitality and, and fellowship. It was of great symbolic significance in the first century. Meals were put on by hosts as an expression of hospitality. Boaz shows his kindness. We see the same manner of kindness, of course, in our Savior. Same kind of kindness who was willing to cross cultural barriers, not moral barriers, but cultural barriers to show kindness to unsuspecting people. His lavish love that risked personal reputation. Boaz meets this physical need. His love and kindness to Ruth were unexpected. And so in the second half of verse 14, we see, so she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. Ruth ate, eats with Boaz in his staff, his own reapers. It's clear that he shares this unusual fellowship with his employees, continues to uphold and and, and demonstrate this heart, this character of Boaz. We get a, a, a taste of, of his kindness through this passage. And now Ruth, right in the middle of them, given a seat of great privilege. And then to add kindness and grace to grace, Ruth takes her seat beside Boaz's harvesters and it says that he gave to her himself of the roasted grain. 
The, the Hebrew is emphatic in this by repeating this word to give on two occasions side by side in order to emphasize the point that it was Boaz himself who is demonstrating this unexpected kindness, this unexpected service to Ruth. He doesn't tell his servants, hey, pass some to Ruth, but takes the posture of a servant himself and gives to Ruth. We now turn not just to his tangible service, but his extravagant service. We, we see that he gives her more than enough. We see that she has some left over, that she is satisfied, and it's the word to be filled up, to, to have more than enough. So much, by the way, that, that Ruth will now take, we'll see in the, the following verses, she takes the leftovers to Naomi, and this, this overflow of kindness of Boaz to Ruth is, is pouring out to others as well. That's what service does. This extravagant kindness we find in verse 15 and 16, when she arose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. Do not reproach her. Also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. This bold, unashamed request of Ruth to gather among the sheaves is met by Boaz's kindness, his willingness to allow her to do the unthinkable, setting a precedent, perhaps, that others who were poor in the community may want to follow and and take up some of the extras that were there among those bundles of grain, But he's not thinking about himself, he's thinking about service and kindness to Ruth, demonstrating his heart of faith in God. He instructs his own staff members, his own reapers, on how to treat Ruth with dignity, how to treat her with respect, how to even be generous themselves, and so in a manner of speaking, Boaz is setting an example for his own reapers on how to have the same kind of life, how to pour out their own labors. These reapers who have gathered all morning and have bundled these sheaves, now he puts them in the place of also serving so they might see God. Boaz extends grace upon grace. This reaping that demonstrates a commitment to God and a heart of faith. Because when you live God's way, your life points to confidence in God. It's a life that pours out. It's a life that prefers others. It's a life that points to faith. It's a life that says, I trust God in my spending to replenish what has been spent in service. It's a life that says God is enough. And then it enjoys the benefits of God himself in God's provision and taking part in God's master plan. Now we turn finally in the last section of chapter two to Naomi's service, her service that is wise and patient She serves wisely and patiently. And on the surface of this account, you will say, where is the service? Where is Naomi serving her daughter-in-law, Ruth? But I want you to understand that any life that points to God instructs and helps and encourages people to see God and leads people into worship is a life that is serving others. And Naomi is that kind of person. 
her heart of faith and worship are serving her daughter-in-law to lead her to, to faith and seeing God in the circumstances. Verses 17 and 18 say, so speaking of Ruth, so she gleaned in the field until the evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. She took up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. Verse 19, and her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Naomi serves Ruth wisely and patiently. First, her wisdom. Her wisdom to recognize God's provision. Notice, Ruth comes back and Naomi doesn't say, wow, Ruth, what a great worker you are. Wow, Ruth, look what you were able to pull off today. No, she says, blessed is the man who took notice of you, meaning Blessed is God who is is the, the reason for this productivity. She saw the hand of God. Naomi, in wisdom, helps Ruth see God, points her attention to God's provision. Just to give us some help, an ephah, an ephah in the first century is equivalent to about six gallons of of whatever substance. So six gallons of barley in this sense. So as she's beating out the wheat and she's collecting it in uh, whatever bucket or basket she has, imagine a five-gallon bucket full of wheat plus a one-gallon jug of milk with wheat in it and trying to walk home with this massive provision from God. And Ruth Excuse me, Naomi sees this provision of God. She's like, what happened today? Who found, who did you find favor with? God is the reason for this abundance. Celebrate. It would have been somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds of wheat or barley that she's collected. By the way, one-tenth, one-tenth of an ephah was uh, seen as, as sufficient for the needs of the day to help, help sustain somebody for one day. And God not only provided one day's worth of sustenance, but 10 days worth of sus- sustenance, five days if you split it into two for both Naomi and Ruth. It was an unexpected grace of God, this provision. And Naomi wisely points Ruth to understand God's provision. But she also wisely points Ruth to praising God, to celebrating and worshiping God. Notice in verse 19, she says, blessed be the man who took notice of you. And then in verse 20, and Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And speaking of kindness, she's addressing the kindness of God to work instrumentally through the life of Boaz to provide for their needs. Oh, how kind God is. Look what he's given to us. She worships the the grace of God, the kindness of God. Naomi's heart is tender. 
Her heart is repent, has been repentant. Her heart is open to see what God has done. It's not been jaded by tragedy. It's not been uh, embittered by hard things. It's tender to see God who's working. It's also an answer to prayer. She sees that God is providing not only for their immediate needs. She sees the potential of God providing for future needs in a redeemer. She points to that in the last part of verse 20. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. We'll speak of that more next week. But Boaz, as a kinsman, a close kinsman, was able to step in and to do for this family what the law permitted him to do in terms of purchasing and carrying along the burden of this property that Naomi had and also marrying Ruth and giving them a legacy. But in Naomi's heart, her service of her daughter-in-law is always in the forefront. In Ruth chapter one, verses eight and nine, when, she, when, when Ruth is thinking about a, a future kinsman redeemer, she's thinking about her daughter-in-law in particular. Chapter one, verse eight says, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you find rest, each of you in the house of her, of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. Naomi's heart has always been for the benefit of her daughters-in-law. And now Naomi is beginning to see how God may be answering that prayer that was prayed in the previous chapter. God was faithful to provide in the midst of spending. God is faithful to provide in the midst of serving. And God works this way through his people. We find also in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12, as Paul is commending the church of Corinth in the same kind of way, he says, for the ministry of this service, and by the way, the service is ref- he is referring to as a service of sharing resources and, and supporting those brothers and sisters in need. He says, the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God, because that's how it works. In your service, you not only demonstrate your personal commitment to believing God, but you lead others into worship of God and seeing how God is able to provide for their needs. It leads to many thanksgivings of God through your service. Do you want, dear church, to enjoy and experience the presence of God Do you want to see God for yourself? I mean, as I close, just quote this old hymn. It says, out of the highways and byways of life, many are weary and sad. Carry the sunshine where darkness is rife, making the sorrowing glad. Make me a blessing. Make me a blessing. Out of my life, may Jesus shine. 
Make me a blessing, O Savior, I pray. Make me a blessing to someone today. You may see Jesus through service, and you may be the conduit by which others get to enjoy and see the Savior too. Oh, Father, I pray that you would help us to be a blessing to someone today. Understanding, Lord, that as we spend ourselves for the sake of service to others, and especially for the sake of worship to you, we will be leading others to enjoy and participate in seeing you as well. As Paul says, through our service, we may lead many to thanksgivings in God. May that be true of our life. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week.